This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio Writing Project. OWP supports teachers from all over Ohio and celebrates the professionalism, expertise, and talent of our state's educators. Ohio Writing Project, teachers teaching teachers. Welcome to Write Answers. I am Noah Waspy. Beth Reimer could not join us this time, but she did want me to let you know about all the awesome things coming up with the Ohio Writing Project. On January 18th of 2020, in Oakley, Ohio, Ohio Writing Project will be teaming up with Clear the Air Southwest Ohio to attend and discuss the film Just Mercy, which is the movie that's based on Brian Stevenson's famous book. We also have some spring workshops coming up with OWP. There is the Reading Contemporary Authors class, which is basically like an adult book club. There's a Gifted Literacies class, which will support the hours required for Gifted PD. And we also have some week, a weekend workshop coming up. It's called Speaking and Listening, Reading the World, and Sharing Our Voice. This March 7th and 8th class will focus on speaking and listening in and out of the classroom, including words we use to talk to each other, news information literacy, and writing for the public. But that's not all. June 13th, 2020 marks the 41st annual Teaching of Writing workshop. There is a face-to-face option that will occur on Miami's campus in Westchester, and there's also an online hybrid available. For more information, you can go to Miami University's website and search Ohio Writing Project, Or you could do what I always do and just Google Ohio Writing Project. You can also find Ohio Writing Project on Facebook, and you can find OWP on Twitter at OWPMU. So it's a tradition around here to share a poem before we get into the meat and potatoes of this podcast. Uh, This time I would like to share a poem from Paul McCartney's Book of Poems and Lyrics from 1965 to 1999. This one is called Black Jacket. It can be found on page 144. Sadness isn't sadness. It's happiness in a black jacket. Death isn't death. It's life that's jumped off a tall cliff. Tears are not tears. They're balls of laughter dipped in salt. Dear listener, if you have a poem that you would like us to share, um, why don't you send us an email, noah.waspy at gmail.com, or you could uh, send me a message on Twitter at mrwteach. If you also have a question that you'd like us to address, um, contact us. Let us know. We are happy to ask the questions that are pressing on your mind because that's what this podcast is all about. This time, however, we are going to be moving into part two of our Moving Writers at NCTE series. If you're not already familiar with the movingwriters.org website, it's a site that was created by Allison Marchetti and Rebecca O'Dell, and it's all about supporting teachers with the writing workshop process. There's a mentor text Dropbox. Allison and Rebecca are monthly contributors, and there's also a host of contributing writers. And these contributing writers put together an NCTE presentation along with Allison and Rebecca. The whole presentation was basically about all the different things that can make writing workshop tricky or difficult or things that get in the way. And it's also about how teachers can overcome these difficulties. 
Last time we had Megan Cortland talking to us, and this time we have Mike Ziegler and Hattie McGuire. In his part of the presentation, Mike talked about how to make time to confer with writers. And in Hattie's part of the presentation, she talked about some of the rigid structures that can come with advanced placement writing, especially in the secondary classrooms. And she talks about how you can still manage to weave in some of that workshop magic, even when your school or district has certain kinds of requirements on you as a teacher. So let's listen in on Mike and Hattie's part of the movingwriters.org NCTE presentation. Hi, everybody. Um, so I'm, I'm glad I'm going after Megan because I'm going to kind of build on, she just talks about sort of the physical space of your room. Uh, I'm going to focus on time and space for writing, but I mean time and space for conferences. Space is meaning where do you cram this into your busy units, not the physical space of the room. Um, so I'm Mike Ziegler. I teach uh, English 11 in Novi, Michigan, and I also do MTSS support coach work. The, the short version of that is uh, I provide directed one-on-one -on -one support to struggling readers and writers for a big portion of my day. So I'm very interested in how you reach kids who um, are maybe struggling to be successful in these types of classes. You can find me on Zig thinks I tried to dress up like my Bitmoji today, um, but my shirt's too dark and I don't smoke, so I went as close as I could. Um, <laughs> so hi. So before I get going and dive directly into this, I do want to say one general thing. I've been to some great sessions here so far, and it's got, as always, right, it gets you thinking about things. So one thing I want to say about conferencing in general, even though it's not our purpose here, but I think it's important to keep in mind with everything that I'm going to share, is that um, there's a particular thing with teenagers when you talk to them about writing. So um, you probably remember from like child psych courses, there's this thing about object permanence, right? Where with babies, like if you show them a teddy bear and then you take the teddy bear away, they're like, I swear to God, I saw a teddy bear, but like I, it's gone now, so it must not exist. But what do I know? I'm a baby. But with teenagers, it's like the exact opposite. If you tell them something and put it in their head, it is object permanent forever. So like if you, if, in other words, if you conference in a way where you put it in their head of like, you're not great at writing intros, they could be a junior in college, and you said this to them as a sophomore in high school, and they still will vocalize, like literally say out loud, I just can't write introductions, even though they've had all this growth in between. So be careful how you frame things. Um, so I, I think the question for a lot of people is, how do I fit conferencing into my unit? It's already stuffed. There's all these things to read. So what I want to try to focus on, uh, and this draws from recent blog posts of mine, so some of the language here might be familiar if you're a reader, um, is to reconsider where your writers are in the writing process and that different types of conferences require different time and space. So I want to think about conferences in three phases that I completely made up. Um, they're useful for me. They might not be perfectly useful for you, but it's one way to break it apart. So sometimes you're conferencing the prompts, like what are you going to be writing about when you get to it. Sometimes you're conferencing the writing process. And then this last one could go anywhere, but I call it conferencing writerly intentions. When you're really having conversations about like, why did you make this decision? Why did you make this move? Where do you still have moves you want to make? And that sort of thing. So when you're looking for time to conference in these really stuffed, busy units that you have, I would think about like what what is your goal for that particular type of conference? And I would hope you get all three of these types in a unit, but if you can't, which one's most valuable for what you're doing, right? You have learning goals for unit, which one matches your learning goals and, and, and how can you kind of fit that in? So conferencing the prompt, um, I always start with a written proposal. Um, it's something that just kind of gets the kids um, to have a starting point for a conversation. So instead of, I would never start a conference completely from scratch with the kid. You're going to waste 30 to 45 seconds while they write, like stumble through the awkwardness of, I don't know where you want me to start or what you want me to say. Um, so instead they felt this proposal ahead of time, it prepares them to think out loud. So when they get to you, they can have that paper in hand or usually I've collected already and I've read over it as well. They still lead the conversation, but we- Last week of this unit, like, 
let them think about the writing the whole way through. It doesn't have to be the assignment itself, but um, maybe you give them like some kind of graphic organizer or thinking tool to say this is what we're going to be writing about. And so they're already kind of thinking about that. So those proposal things, can, they can start trickling in very early on. And then my conferencing is spread out over three or four weeks instead of I'm trying to blaze through 32 of them in two days or whatever it might be. Um, the other thing I like to do is I have sustained independent reading time every day in my class where they're reading their books of choice. I conference with them about their reading anyway. That's, that's the only way I don't assess independent reading at all. But I have conversations. What are you reading? How's your book going? What's happened since last time I talked to you? So I just add this to that conference. And I do mine two to three times a week. So during this unit, on a Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, when I'm, you know, 10 kids each, each of those days, I'm asking about your book. And then also, like, let's talk about your proposal real quick. And I can usually get through most, maybe not all, but if I can knock out, I don't know, 20 of them on that time, then I only have 10 more to get through in some other windows. Um, small group conferencing works really well for this, right? If it's the early proposal process, putting a bunch of kids together and letting them talk to each other and to you about it. It's a time saver and usually you get, you get to the same conclusion of they, they either feel okay about their topic or they feel like it needs some revisiting. Um, and that can speed things up immensely. You, you can easily get through 31 in a day if you grab them in groups of three or four. This also de-stresses kids a lot, right? That they can come up with some other people and now it's much lower stakes. They don't realize that they all have the same anxieties about the piece, but they do. Um, and then the, the, the other one you might think about is if you do like reading comprehension assessments or some other kind of assessment during the unit, um, as long as your assessment's not built to go like wall to wall during your class period, there's no reason you can't grab kids one at a time for just a quick two minute um, proposal. The other nice thing about doing that is that sometimes your kids have questions on an assessment they won't ask unless they are, you know what I mean? Like if you go to them or they come to you. So if you're plucking them for a conference, a lot of them be like, I have a question as long as I'm here and it turns out you're helping with the assessment too. So that works well with the early part, the prompt. Conferencing the process is obviously a more systemic thing. They're deep in the writing. I would never start these more than a, less than a day into the writing process because I want them to have some writing done before I have this conversation. Um, so the, the first thing I would say about these is, is I, I think sometimes we get in our heads of like, well, some of the kids are doing okay, so I'll just conference with kids who want to. I, I'd highly advise against that. Like they, they all need direction with their writing. They all need to grow as writers. Um, and also obviously the, the ones who choose to come to you are usually the ones who are farther ahead anyway. The kids who are gonna avoid you are the exact ones that need your time. So this has to be mandatory and you have to build the time for it. I would say your actual writing process should be four to five days if you can manage it. If not, you figure out as much writing time as you can and you conference during that time. One thing that'll help speed this up is that again, I try to have the kids prep beforehand to have the conversation. So I like to use the Google Docs comment feature. You can either put the comments in there while they're writing or I prefer that they eventually do it. Um, but it speeds things up. So in this one, I, I did it. This is their first writing assignment and I just wanted to control some of the feedback. So I put a comment about the way they use a rhetorical question um, and then the fact that their conclusion He's writing a piece about why country music is the best kind of music, but by the end of his introduction, I know you can't read it from back, but by the end of his introduction, he was really writing more of like an anti-pop, anti-hip-hop screed. And so I tried to put a comment there to gently prepare him for the fact that like, <laughs> this is not great messaging and also you're off topic. So with a couple of quick comments either they've put in or I've put in, when they come up, they already know the conversation topic for the, right? So we're not deciding what to talk about, saying, so what, what do you want to conference about? That's prepped ahead of time, so it just it tightens up the, the um, system. And the last one's writerly moves. You can do this anytime. This one's not necessarily in chronological order. You could combine it with the process. Um, I think a lot of students prefer it as a final step. Like, you know, we want them to write with strong voice and style, but for some of them, uh, plowing through the ideas is enough 
um, mental work on its own. So sometimes this is that last step where you're like putting the frosting on the cake. Um, this can be combined with the process if you're in a unit that's, that's tight for time. Um, I like to use this time to also revisit mentor texts. And then uh, the last couple of things I'd say about it, first of all, I have the students go back and highlight their own voice and style before this conference. So again, I've usually given like a couple models, like here's some moves you can make. We've looked at them in mentor text. And so I never demand like we looked at how to use like an ellipsis or a parenthetical side, so you have to use one. But like I do expect that you can say, here's where I had a little bit of voice and I'm, and I'm really proud of it. So if they go through and use the highlight feature beforehand, I know where I'm gonna be able to focus that, uh, that conversation. And then my other thought is this, uh, if your unit's getting busy, it's actually not a bad thing if you can, if you need to do something else for even like a week and then come back to the paper and have this conference, like how often is your view of your own writing much different when you've been away for a while? So don't always feel like, well, we've been writing for five days and the deadline has to be Friday. Like what if the deadline was the week after Thanksgiving and this Monday and Tuesday was when we revisit the paper we've been away from? Every kid will see their own writing from a new view, right? Um, so just very quickly, I don't want to run over, this is a model of that highlighting. So with this student, they highlighted two places of voice, they made a lovely pop culture reference to the office, and then they used a personal anecdote. So right away, if I look at this beforehand, when they come up, we can talk about uh, are those effective, are they using them in a, in a good or bad way, but it's a very fast conversation and I can either conference about these are great examples, or maybe we conference about the white space uh, of where else do you have more voice and style. So my final thought would just be this, that I. We all have busy units, they're all stuffed units, but I think you have to make time for this because what, what you spend time in your classroom on teaches kids what to value. And so if you're always making writing and conversation about writing an afterthought, you're definitely sending kids a message about writing. Thanks. All right, story of my life. Mike sleeping into my time, so. <laughs> I'm Heidi McGuire. I'm also from Novi High School in Michigan, and despite the fact that the first three speakers were from Michigan, Moving Writers is not a Michigan <laughs> blog. We just all really like Moving Writers in Michigan, I guess. I teach AP English Language and Composition. I also teach AP Seminar, and then I teach an entrepreneurship class too, but I'm going to talk mostly today about English, AP English Language because I think that's the one where my biggest dilemma with writing workshop has come in. So my problem is that AP is a timed writing, strict parameters, very little choice kind of class. And you know, what's a workshop loving teacher to do in that situation? When I came to AP Language eight or nine years ago, I was walking into a program where the AP Language teacher had been teaching that course for like since Jesus was a baby. And <laughs> she was very successful. Everyone loved her. Her students did very well. But it was very focused on timed right. Um, and multiple choice practice, and it didn't look anything like what I was doing in my 10th grade English classes that had been very workshop-centered. So I was really lost those first couple years because I was doing what she was doing because I was terrified. I um, mean, it just didn't feel quite right. And I realized that I needed to kind of change the culture of AP language in my school after she retired and I had a little bit more freedom to make some, some changes. I would say all of this with her in the room, by the way. She's amazing. Um, you really have to think about ways that you can make workshop your own when you have those strict parameters on you. I can't just toss the AP curriculum out the window and be like, oh guys, we would just like workshops so we're not gonna do timed writing. That's, that's not practical and it's not fair to my students. Um, but I've found that if I cover less material and I write more with them, we have time and space to do the kind of practices that workshop allows us to practice and, um, and really get into that time for writing and thinking about writing that the students desperately need. 
And then the last thing that I think is the most important is that I realized I had to figure out how to explain the connections between what we were doing in class and the AP test for my students and for their parents because they were very nervous that we weren't writing timed rights all the time. They were very nervous that I wasn't you know, beating them over the head with all this multiple choice practice. They were sure they weren't gonna be ready. And so I had to make sure they understood that the skills we were practicing connected to the exam eventually and that they would be okay. But I found that the more explicit I was about that, the better everybody felt and the more they bought in. How do you do that? I think I have three things for you that, I, that work well for me. And the first one is that I've had to create routines that establish a purpose for constant, student-driven, low-stakes writing. Um, every time we do something that's timed in my class, that's high stakes right away. They're stressed. There's a timer running. Um, and they know there's going to be something. You know, They feel like a hammer's dropping. So the first thing that we start early in the year are something we call contextual pool notebooks. If you're not familiar with AP language class, it has a lot of um, argumentative writing and students have to know a lot about the world around them. And so they have to have a notebook in my class and in their notebook they keep track of, this is a student's notebook right here, you can't obviously see it very well, but every week they're responsible for watching the news, talking to their parents, listening to the radio, whatever, and finding out what's going on around them and then just writing about it. It's not anything that exciting other than it gives them a space to just get used to writing more and then they have time to have conversations about it in class um, and it kind of establishes that idea that not all writing is high stakes. The other thing we do a lot of in my class is blogging. I've done it a lot of different ways in past years. This year I'm doing something new and it's been really fun. We connected with a bunch of other AP language teachers. Some are in this room, so thanks for coming guys. Um, and our students write, do they blog to one another and um, they try things out. Like this is an example of an, an op-ed that someone, or a rhetorical analysis of an op-ed. Um, but the key with these is that they're not graded. And I was worried when we started them that students would just not engage with them. Um, but the more I'm explicit about the connections to the tests and the more that I'm explicit about this idea that this is practice and it will pay off and you have to engage in this practice, um, the, the more they buy in. It is not immediate. It's not like the first week they're all like, oh yeah, sure, I'll just do all this writing for no credit, sweet. That's, <laughs> but if you're consistent with it and you don't give up and they, and they see that this has space in your class and you're valued in class, we spend time reading them, we spend time commenting on them, we spend time talking about them and they start to realize like, oh, she actually does really care about my writing itself and there's more to this than just a grade. So. That those low stakes things are very important. Oh geez, I gotta fast. Second one is to develop process writing assignments that work on similar skills. So that was the, the biggest shift for me. The AP language test has three different essays. There's a rhetorical analysis essay, there's an argumentative essay, and then there's a synthesis essay, which is really like research-based um, essay. And so there's a lot of spaces that we can do that um, in more process writing that doesn't have to just look like, here's an argument prompt, and now we're gonna just spread it out over time. You could do that. You could just make a regular prompt from AP and turn it into a longer test, but you could also find some real-world writing examples and model them after that, and just find the ways to show the students how they, how they connect. For example, in the, uh, Rhetorical analysis, we do commercial analysis or humor analysis, and I highly recommend uh, John Warner's The Writer's Practice. Um, if you're not familiar with that book, it has some amazing examples of nonfiction writing assignments that are so practical and fun for the kids to dig into. But the things that they're doing there are exactly what they're doing in the rhetorical analysis. So we can say when you're looking at humor and answering the question, why is this funny? That's the exact same thing you're doing in the rhetorical analysis. I say, why does this particular speech convince an audience to do something? So the, st the skill connection is pretty easy to show them. Um, with 
the argument, we do open letters. And then with uh, the synthesis, we do op-eds with hyperlinks. And, um, <coughs> and they have all kinds of mentor texts for those that they can find online. And you know, we, they can write about different topics there. So with each of these, they can find something that their, their choice is in the topic that they're writing about. Um, and I can take the, all the skills and spend my time really developing the individual skills that will later apply to their, to their timed writing. I keep all my notes. This is a picture of my notebook. Um, in all my workshop conferences then, I can look specifically at the skills that we're developing and that every kid has their own page. Um, and that's where I kind of keep track of, okay, this student during the rhetorical analysis was still struggling with identifying what made something funny or identifying why a particular commercial had, you know, um, had this. So I know which skills I need to work on with those students by keeping track during my conferences. And then the third one is involving students in assessment. So even though once you've got them on board doing low stakes writing, and then you've got them willing to try these other um, process writing pieces that are like kind of similar to what they're gonna do on the test, but not completely, um, they're still really caught up in the rubrics. Like, am I still gonna be able to get a five on the test? You know, they're just, they're, and that's a legitimate fear. Like they want to do well in these classes. And I think to dismiss that and to say, oh, just worry about the writing, that's not fair to them. Um, they're driven kids that want, that want to do well. So what we do is we look at, oh, my formatting got messed up on this too. That's okay, sorry about my slides. <laughs> The, uh, we looked at the actual AP rubrics and we pulled out as a group what the uh, skills were that were in that rubric or that were in that rubric that made more sense to us. We made a giant list, kind of like what Megan was talking about with the anchor chart. And then once we had that, and instead of erasing them, I did. You can see all my different classes are in different colors. Um, then they put them together and made their own rubric, and we were able to draw the parallels between here's what the AP is is looking at, here's what we're looking at in class, and here's how they're the same, even though um, I'm not using this, the AP or the College Board's rubric for them. So ultimately, shifting over to this kind of a style in an AP class can be very scary. I was very nervous when I started moving more towards this and away from this idea of doing so many timed rights. We do do some eventually. My students haven't done any yet this year, but we will, we will very soon start doing one, one a quarter or something like that. Um, and I was very scared that I was not giving them the, prepare, the preparation that they needed for the test. But I've been doing this for about five years now, slowly moving more and more into workshop. And I'm not seeing any difference in their scores. If anything, their scores are improving. And what I am seeing, and if you can see this picture right here, is a huge difference. Oh, I was supposed to say about this. <laughs> the young lady in the top, I love that picture because she's laughing as her group. They did not stage that. I just happened to catch that picture. There is some joy back in that class again. And I think it is so easy in AP classes to kind of suck the joy out of writing <laughs> because there's so much stress in those classes and they're so driven by that curriculum that we suck the joy out of writing. And so when we commit to this idea that we are not going to give in to turning this into a test prep and we are going to embrace all the things that make workshops so powerful, we bring back some of that joy in our classes. So it's scary, but I think it works. All right.